We were reminded in those moments how powerful prayer is and how, how meaningful it is to be able to pray together. And so today we are thanking God for moms who understand the power of prayer. We're thanking God for people who pray for moms. And so the message that uh, I want to share with you today, I've, I've titled The Power of a Praying Mom. Many of you are that. Many of you here are praying moms, and I'm thankful for you today. And in your prayer life, so the prayer life of your mom, I know in my case, my mom, uh, is an inspiration. We're, we're talking about prayer this whole season. We were going through the model prayer, and even though we paused today for Mother's Day, uh, I am encouraged by the life of prayer of many of our moms, and it challenges us to grow in that life. So we turn to a story today of a woman who prayed a very special kind of prayer. Her name was Hannah. And you find her story in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 11. I'd like to invite you to go there with me. It reads like this, 1 Samuel, chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Sufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Suf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Malkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah turned to prayer in a difficult moment and she becomes a model, if not an example of a praying mom to us. Her story is representative of many of our women, of many of our moms today. And so today we honor women, we honor moms, some biological moms, some, some women who have been a, a motherly figure, uh, some, some women who, who have struggled like Hannah has struggled. And so I want to point out some things from Hannah's story that I think apply to all praying moms. And the first thing I want to say is that praying moms rely on God in distress. Hannah experienced great grief. Not only was she not able to bear children, but Elkanah's other wife tormented her about it. Now, that may sound a little weird for 
modern people. In those days, polygamy was culturally accepted. That means that men could have multiple wives and, and it was culturally accepted. But now we know that just because something is culturally accepted doesn't make it God's design. Just because something is legal, it doesn't make it right. So we live in a world where people accept certain things and they live certain ways and, and we know it's not right, but, but that's the way our world is. And that's the way Hannah's world was. Can you imagine not only having to share your husband with another woman, but every day seeing that woman's sons and daughters running around the house and, and, and feeling like you don't have a child to contribute to the family, feeling left out. Uh, today, there are still women who deal with infertility, and that's a difficult thing. I, I've walked and prayed with, with moms who who have trouble bearing children, and, and that's hard, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, and yet, in that day, it was even harder. You, you perhaps can't imagine that, but there was a stigma. There was this sense that if you couldn't have children, that somehow you were cursed. Somehow, God had not had favor on you. And, and so, Hannah bore that kind of, of stigma on herself. To make matters worse, Nina tormented her. She teased her and hurled insults at her. She, she did it until Hannah uh, would cry, drive her tears. You, you and I know that that saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt. That's a lie. Words hurt. Words matter. When people say mean things. It, it just goes to the deepest part of our soul. And, and so it was with Hannah kind of bullying that she suffered at home went on for month after month after month and even years. It's a lot of grief. It's a lot to bear. There are many women who have experienced pain and grief. There are some who, who still today deal with infertility. There are some moms who maybe have gone through a painful divorce and and are having to figure out how to be single moms. Some have been victims of abuse and are trying to sort through that. Domestic abuse, it's a horrible thing. Others maybe are, are parents of a special needs child and that brings its own challenges. Maybe you've lost a child and that hurts and you remember that. Many are the heartaches that women experience Many are the hardships that moms endure. Only moms know what they go through. Only moms know the tears that they shed when nobody's looking. The Bible tells us in verse 10 here that, that Hannah in her anguish prayed to the Lord and she was weeping bitterly. In her distress, she turned to prayer. In her grief, she relied on the Lord. Ronald Sanchez is one of our staff ministers. He's the associate minister of missions. And he was telling me this week about a time when he still lived at home when he was growing up. He, he grew up in a pastor's home and, and he had a brother who had uh, walked away from the Lord and was kind of a prodigal. And, uh, and his parents were worried about him. And Ronald says, I remember one night when I woke up at 3 a.m. Uh, to go to the restroom 
and I noticed that, a, that there was a light on in the house and I was curious about it. So I went to, to see what was happening. He goes, and it was my surprise to find my mom on her knees praying for my brother, asking fervently for his spiritual life. He says, I'll never forget that. How, how passionately and, and, and how bitterly she prayed for him and for God to return his brother to the Lord. Eventually, God answered that prayer. In fact, his brother is a pastor now. But that night, that mom turned to prayer in her distress. Notice the intensity of Hannah's prayer in verse 12 here. It says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Hannah's prayer was so intense that Eli, the priest, thought that she was drunk and he reprimanded her. Like, can you imagine how discouraging that would be? I mean, at home, you get bullied by your husband's other wife day and night. You feel bad about your situation. And so you turn to the Lord in prayer you go to the temple, you take advantage of the fact that every year your husband goes to the temple to worship and, and so you're here at the temple in Shiloh and you turn to the Lord and, and the one who represents the Lord, the priest, calls you a drunken woman. That, that can be discouraging sometimes. It doesn't matter where you turn. It seems like, like people are just against you. Thank God that Hannah was a strong woman. Thank God for strong women. She knew that she had not turned to Eli she had turned to the Lord. She was not relying on a priest. She was relying on her God. And the Bible says that when she prayed and she laid her burden down before him, that she found relief. She was able to eat and she was not downcast anymore. Praying moms rely on God in their distress. Praying moms also receive from God his deliverance. Hannah felt relief from her burden to the Lord. Just praying was a relief. Don't you know that? Sometimes when you have a burden, you bring it to the Lord and you just pray. You just leave it at his feet. You find relief. You haven't seen the answer prayer yet. You don't know when God's going to answer or how he's going to answer, but you can trust that you left it at his feet. And that's what Hannah did. But she also received the answer to her request. Look at verse 19 and 20. It says, early in the next morning, they arose and worshiped God before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. God heard Hannah's prayer and in due time he gave her what she asked for she asked for a son 
and he gave her a son. Can you imagine her joy? After years of waiting, after such a long time, after being bullied and tormented, uh, thinking that maybe she would never have a son. Now, now she's going to have a son. And that's the power of God. That's, that's the God that we pray to. It's, it's a God that, that can make a, a barren woman fertile. It's the God that can, that can make an ocean in the desert. It's the God that can break a hardened heart. It's the God that can make the prodigal son come home. It's the God that can restore a marriage that has been torn apart. It's, it's the God who can do miracles in our lives physically and spiritually and emotionally. That's our God. That's the God that Hannah prayed to. Now, God may not always answer our prayers the way that we would want him to. God may not always answer our prayers when we want him to. But what we can be sure of is that he always hears us that he always loves us and that his power is without equal, that he is the God of the impossible, that he can change things, that he can do miracles, that he can work in the supernatural. Sometimes he will perform a miracle. He doesn't always do it. I believe that God can perform miracles today, but he doesn't always do it. We don't know when he's gonna do it, so we trust him. We pray to him, believing that he will. Sometimes what he does is he gives us grace to go through our hardship. Sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he walks with us through the storm. Sometimes he changes the circumstances around us. Sometimes he changes our heart through the circumstances. But his will is always perfect. His love is always sure. Hannah, in this case, received her request. It was God's deliverance for her. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to, uh, to be in the UK, specifically in Oxford and London, uh, studying history, church history, especially of, of what they call nonconformists or separatists or uh, where Baptists come from. And in one of those uh, site visits, I got to go to a cemetery where people were buried that uh, maybe were not allowed to be buried in the Church of England uh, yard. And, and uh, John Bunyan, was in that grave. He wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, if you're familiar with that. Isaac Watts, who kind of the father of English hymnody, was buried there. And there were a lot of other uh, famous people in, in our tradition. But there's one grave that caught my attention because it's a woman that I've always admired. Her name is Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was uh, the daughter of a pastor, married a pastor, and they had 19 children. And nine of them died as infants. By the time that Susanna Wesley died in 1742, she only had eight children left. And one day, her husband and her got into a little argument, and he got so upset that he left for over a year, left her with all the children to fend for herself. He was such a bad money manager uh, that they often were in need, and twice he had to go to jail because of money problems. Twice their house burned down and she had to find ways to place her children. Uh, her life was just not easy. But you know one thing about her? She was a praying woman and she was serious about her relationship with Jesus and she was committed to discipling her children. She felt like whatever spiritual nourishment that we're getting on Sunday morning at church was not sufficient. So what she did is she started a family worship service in her home on Sunday nights. She had enough children to have church. 
And, uh, and, and, and as she was doing that, she, they would sing hymns and they would read sermons and they would open the scriptures. And people were so curious about what was happening at Susanna Wesley's home on Sunday nights that they said, can we attend? That little family devotional grew to about 200 people while Sunday morning church was dwindling. Uh, but God used her. Now, two of her children, she had a lot of children, but we know about two of her children. One, his name was John Wesley. John Wesley was a preacher that went around preaching kind of a revivalist kind of fervor back in the day throughout the UK and, and the US. And, and he's considered the, the, the father of Methodism. Uh, and then his brother Charles Wesley was a hymn writer. He wrote 6,500 hymns, many of which we sing. And, and in that way, this, this woman who had a difficult life, this woman who faced hardship, this woman who was a praying woman and a committed follower of Jesus, discipled her children and her children made a difference. And they changed, they changed the world. They changed history. They, they were part of God's kingdom. Praise God for praying moms like Susanna Wesley. Praise God for praying moms like Hannah. Praise God for praying moms like many of you here. Your prayers make a difference. Only eternity will tell the difference that you made, mom, through your prayers. Praying moms do exactly that. And then third and final, praying moms release their children to God's destiny. Praying moms realize that they receive from God and then they give back to him. That what we have from God is, is for a season, but that it really belongs to him. When Hannah asked for a son, she promised that she would give him back to him. She, she was so wanting to have a son that she said, I'm willing to conceive, I'm willing to be pregnant, I'm willing to give birth, I'm willing to nurse, and then give the child back to you to the service at the temple. Before Samuel was born, Hannah had already decided to release him to the Lord. Before Samuel was born, she recognized that her son ultimately belonged to God. That's a powerful thing. The Lord granted her request and, and Hannah kept her promise. We, we can finish the story in verse 21. It says, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you. Now that's a smart husband right there. Her husband Elkanah told her, stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Once the boy was weaned, Hannah 
went up to Shiloh where the temple was in order to leave Samuel there with Eli so that he would raise him up and train him to to work in the temple, to be in the service of God 24-7. Now, for those of you that have three-year-olds, and for those of us that are grandparents of a three-year-old, we can't imagine doing that, can we? Can you imagine dropping off your three-year-old in a different town, a church somewhere, for, for somebody to keep raising them and train them, as good as the church might be, as good as the education might be? That would be a hard thing to do. That's what Hannah did. She kept her promise to the Lord. She knew something that many of us take a long time to learn. That our gift of parenting is temporary. And the sooner that we come to terms with that, the better we'll do. That the home is a launching pad for a life that is supposed to be directed by God. That God has a plan for our children. You know, Psalm 139 says, all of the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Have you ever thought about that? If you're a mom or a dad, have you thought about the fact that every single day of the life of your child is already written in God's book? That, that ought to be a relief to you because some of you think you have to write the script. <laughs> some of you think you have to figure out for your children. Well, let me tell you something. God has already figured it out for them. All of the days ordained for their lives have already been written in his book. And our task as parents is, is to direct them, to launch them in a relationship with him. The psalmist teaches us this in a very vivid way. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I love that image. Children are like arrows. You know, arrows are meant to be launched. Now, we might prepare the arrow. We might make sure that the arrow is going to be sharp and fine and it's going to fly the furthest and hit the bullseye. That's our task. But at one point, we got to release the arrow. And the whole time that we're preparing the arrow, we got to be mindful that we're preparing it to be launched. The Bible reminds us of that. And praying moms like Hannah realize their need to release their children to God's destiny. It doesn't mean that you need to drop off your, your three-year-old children here at the children's building and leave them here forever, okay? I know some of you preschool moms think, Man, if I could do that for a week or two, that'd be fine. That's not what it means. It just means that you continue to nurture and to raise them and to love them and to guide them and to counsel them, but that you understand that you don't have to control their lives forever. That we don't get to dictate who they will become. That God will call them to a vocation. That God has a mate chosen for them. That God has a college, an education or a training that he will call them to. And, and it's not up to us to decide that, it's up to us to help them discover that in their relationship with God. That's what a praying mom knows. She knows that God is in control, so she doesn't have to be. I wonder if you heard that. A praying mom knows that God is in control, so she doesn't have to be. She can release her children to him. Our children may leave the house after high school graduation. They may leave the house after 
college graduation. They may leave the house after they get married. They may leave the house after graduate school. It may seem like they're never going to leave the house. But whenever, whenever they leave, it should be natural because we knew that since they were kids. That's part of what a parent-child education is about, you know? You know, when these parents came and brought the children here, you know what they're saying? They're saying, this child belongs to you, God. One day I'm going to release them back to you. Right now I accept the task of loving them, taking care of them, training them, but, but they belong to you. And we need to remind ourselves that every day so that when the day comes to release them, we can do that. I'm thankful for moms who pray. I'm thankful for my mom who is a woman of prayer. Praying moms rely on God when in distress. Praying moms receive from God his deliverance and pray moms release their children to God's destiny. You might be familiar with a passage in the Bible from 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love. A mom took that passage and paraphrased it for a mom. And I'll share that with you in closing. She wrote, if I live in a house of spotless beauty with everything in its place, but have not love, I am a housekeeper, not a homemaker. If I have time for waxing, polishing, and decorative achievements, but have not love, my children learn cleanliness, not godliness. Love leaves the dust in search of child's laugh. Love smiles at the tiny fingertips on a nearly clean window. Love wipes away the tears before it wipes up the spilled milk. Love picks up the child before it picks up the toys. Love is present through the trials. Love reprimands, reproves, and is responsive. Love crawls with the baby, walks with the toddler, runs with the child, then sets aside to let the youth walk into adulthood. Love is the key that opens salvation's message to a child's heart. Before I became a mother, I took glory in my house of perfection. Now I glory in God's perfection of my child. As a mother, there is much I must teach my child, but the greatest of all is love. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the story of Hannah. Thank you for her example of what it means to be a praying mom. Thank you for the moms who are here, who have been praying moms, who have trusted you, who have relied on you. Thank you for the moms that are no longer with us, but left us their example, prayed for us, and we are here because of them. Father, we pray that today we could respond to you, either in a commitment to be prayer warriors, a commitment to to release our children to you. Maybe a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe there's someone here who's never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And today, they need to take that step of faith to believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. Father, whatever our commitment is, to rely on you, to trust you, may we respond in faith even now. It is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.